0: Howdy howdy folks, I am Father Fred Gatchett and you are tuned in to the Double-Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KJDM 101.7 Salina Lindsburg, and where it all began our flagship station KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And here on the Double-Edged Sword program we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture And I'm going to call this installment of Double-Edged Sword, Let's Run With It. And that is to say, there's all kinds of things that we pursue, most of them good. And it's like, okay, we, we think this, whatever it is, is good. We pursue it. We're going after it. So let's run with it. Let's take this, whatever it is we're pursuing, and let's take it to the extreme and see where it leads us. And see if we really want to end up there. That's the big question. And so um, the, the first one, the first you know thing that I'm gonna propose is good old St. Augustine. You always know, say if you're gonna steal, steal from the best. And Saint Augustine was one of the greatest minds that the church has ever known, and the church has known an awful lot of minds. So when you're up there in the top two or three, that's saying something. Saint Augustine kind of proposed this. I mean, I'm gonna kind of preface it with a little bit of my own comments, in the idea that you know, usually what we find ourselves doing in life is we have competing goods. It isn't, again, like I said, that someone is saying, gee, um, should I be a fine, upstanding citizen and work hard and be responsible? Or, you know, should I cook methamphetamine and make child pornography? Obviously, the, you know, people aren't making those kind of decisions. Again, the people that are doing the really bad stuff are just kind of gone, and, you know, we'll just let God sort them out, I suppose. But then, you know, what about, you know, when we're, when we're looking for competing goods? You know, we're, we're pursuing a career. We are trying to do a, you know, find a job where we can support our families and pay our bills and, you know, take care of our obligations and so on, and hopefully find a job that gives us a sense of purpose and meaning. That's all well and good. Um, but the thing is, is, you know, a lot of times what happens is we pursue these goods and they get in the way of other goods. So, for example, you know, a couple examples that we have, and these are happy examples in a certain sense, I suppose, that... You know, you have a you know a man and a woman that got married and had their jobs and raised their kids and everything, and now comes the big day where it's their son or their daughter that's walking down the aisle in church in the you know the beautiful wedding dress or the you know the the young man you know looking handsome in his in his in his wedding tuxedo or his wedding suit or whatever, and the mom and the dad are looking at these at these you know people these you know young adults and saying, my gosh, what happened to the time? Where did it go? They were just in diapers yesterday or, you know, we were just going to little league games last week and now here they are all grown up and ready to get married and, and you know, where did the time go? And so, you know, there were competing goods there. There was the, the good of being with our children as we're raising them and the good of doing the necessary things to raise them, you know, the, you know, the job and the career and things like that. You know, or, um, you know, maybe you have someone that's getting ready to retire and they've, you know, they've had a, they've had a long career and, you know, after you know, working for 45 years, whatever it is, they worked. And then it was, you know, time to hang it up. And so it's, you know, having the last day at work and cleaning out the desk and maybe the retirement party, you know, whatever it is. And um, they ask themselves, hmm, they look back on those years and say, you know, I was so busy making a living, which is a good thing. I think I forgot how to live and so you know that happens sometimes you know so again we had you know competing goods you know trying to lead, lead a, a meaningful life you know a life that you know by the time that we're winding the life down we look back on it and say well I think I you know left the world a little bit better than what I found it to you know and so on competing with the necessity to make a living you know to again to pay the bills and you know do what's necessary so the thing is up and against this, you know, St. Augustine proposes this. He says, what if Lord God Almighty, and he's all-powerful, and he's God, and he can do whatever he wants, so you know if he says this, he can do it. Lord God Almighty comes up and says, look, I will give you whatever you want on whatever terms you wanted. I mean, basically, God just giving you a blank check and saying, fill in the amount, do what you want, you know, and whatever it is that you want, do you want fame? Do you want power? Do you want money? Do you want pleasure? You know, do you want leisure? You know, whatever it is, whatever it is you want, I will give it to you in unlimited quantities and you can have, you know, whatever you want on whatever terms you it, And, um, and you know, nothing will be considered out of bounds. And then the interesting caveat that, that, um, St. Augustine put in with this was, you will never be bored. And that's gonna be kind of important in one of our other little scenarios that we'll look at here in a minute, that you will never be bored. Because the thing of it is, human beings know that no matter how exciting something gets, once we do it a couple of times, we get bored with it. Um, some of us that are old enough to remember the, the Apollo moon program, you know, that um, you know, when, when Apollo 11 landed on the moon, the whole world stood still. While Neil Armstrong stepped out on the on the on the lunar surface, you know, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And the whole world was just, you know, enthralled at what was going on. When Apollo 12 went up and, you know, they landed on the moon, you know, it's like, hey, this is pretty exciting again, but not near as exciting as the first time. When Apollo 13 went up, Apollo 13 was exciting because he almost died when the spaceship blew up halfway to the moon. But then like Apollo 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, they're supposed to go up, I think, to Apollo 22. And, the you know, NASA cut the program because Congress cut the funding because people were bored with it. We got bored with going to the moon. And, and we got bored pretty quick, too. And so, you know, the thing is, is, you know, no matter what it is that we do, we very quickly get bored with it. And so a wise person might look at St. Augustine's proposal of God saying, you know, I will give you whatever you want, you know, and so on. And might say, well, you know, God, but the problem is human beings being the way we are, no matter what you do, I'll be bored eventually. And so God says, no, I will use my power as God's that you will never be bored. Okay. So you can have whatever you want in whatever quantity and whatever terms you want, and you will never be bored. Now just stop and think about that for a minute. You know, that whatever it is that, you know, that has us, you know, any, any person that's listening right now, you know, what's your biggest frustration? You know, what's the thing that you wish you could just kind of wave the magic wand and fix it? And God says, fine, I'll fix it. I'll do it for you. I'll give it to you. But God says, okay, and get ready for this. But the condition of you accepting this deal is you will never see my face. Now think about that. You will never see the face of God. God will give you everything you want, have any kind of a life you want. You will never be bored. Nothing will be considered off limits. Nothing will be considered sinful. You know, you can, if you, if you want to cook meth for the rest of eternity, go ahead, you know, whatever the case might be. But God says, in accepting this deal, you will never see my face. Now, the thing is, as St. Augustine says, whenever we hear that line, you will never see my face we kind of get this pit in our stomach and we kind of go, you know, you really kind of had my curiosity peaked there a little bit about giving me everything I ever wanted and having it easy and just having it set, you know, set before me on a silver platter, but never seeing the face of God. I don't think I want that. And so stop and think what we just did. You know, we gave over everything, you know, to see the face of God. So what does that tell us that we really want? that you know in, in the midst of whatever it is that has us distracted or frustrated or whatever, in the end, all of you know, what all of us want is to see God's face. And so again, like you say, let's run with it. You know, look at whatever it is that we're pursuing, and, and imagine again that Lord God Almighty, who's you know, all powerful, says, Okay, that's what you want, here you go. You know, go for it. And see about that. Now the thing of it is a similar thing kind of happened once in the Gospels. In the Gospel of Saint Luke, we read the story of, of the miraculous catch of fish. I mean, Luke's version is a little bit different than John's version. But I'll just read you. It comes from Luke chapter 5. So this is the very beginning of the, of the gospel when Jesus is first gathering his apostles around him. And it says, Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Genesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there by the shore of the lake. The fishermen had got out of them and were washing their nets. Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had made. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. So we've all heard that story before, the story of the miraculous catch of fish. We can imagine Peter, and this again, this is kind of my own personal reflection on this. You know, this is an official teaching in of the church or whatever, so you can take it for what it's worth. But my own personal reflection on this is my guess is, is that Peter was probably a very aggressive go-getter kind of guy. He was not a slacker and he would get up in the morning or actually he would probably get up in the afternoon and they would go out and they would fish all night because that's when you caught the fish. And so then, then he would come in in the morning. They would take their fish, whatever it was they caught. He'd probably take a couple home, you know, have his wife cook them up. The rest of them they'd take to the market and try to sell them, make their, you know, make their daily money. Sometimes they'd have lots of fish to sell and they'd make a pretty good haul. Other times they wouldn't have so many fish to sell. That's the way it is when you're a private businessman. And so, you know, Simon would have been the kind of guy, again, since they normally did their fishing at night, you know, they would have come in, you know, from, from a night's fishing and caught nothing and got skunked. And then they're, they're, fishing, they're cleaning their nets and putting everything in order to go out again the next night. And then this itinerant preacher guy shows up, um, who evidently doesn't know how to work very hard because he's out you know, talking about God rather than working at a real job. And he comes up to Simon and says, hey, you know, let me borrow your boat here for a second so I can talk to these folks. And you know, Peter's just like, oh, whatever. you know, Doesn't want to be rude to the holy man because they don't know each other very well yet. And so then Peter pushes the boat out into the water and then Jesus from there, you know, teaches the crowd and everything. And then he says, you know, put out in deep water for a catch. Well, there he's just betraying his ignorance to Peter because everybody knows you don't catch fish in the middle of the day. You catch fish when it's dark. And so Peter just like, oh, whatever. And this, is, and this would have been a big job, too. I mean, to put the nets out, that was, that was a, a major undertaking. And so they go out, they put out the fish, they put out the nets and then the rest they say is history. They pull in this giant catch of fish. Peter's standing there up to his hips and fish as the boat's almost ready to sink. And he's looking at Jesus. And I just always kind of wonder, you know, St. Luke doesn't record this, but Jesus and Peter are kind of looking at each other. And, you know, Peter's looking at the fish and looking at Jesus, looking at the fish, looking back at Jesus and Jesus looking at Peter and going, Peter, is this it? This is what you're in it for? You know, you're awful busy making a living, but how much of a life do you have? And, and Peter seems to understand that when he, when he, he says he falls down at Jesus' knees and says, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. And, um, you know, Peter realized at that moment, kind of, you know, kind of gets a taste of the futility of it all, that um, even though he's been working very hard and, and he, you know, he s- struggles to scratch out a living every day out of the Sea of Galilee there and catch enough fish to pay his bills and pay his help and, you know, cover his expenses and so on. And um, he, just, he just says, leave me, Lord. And Jesus says, well, don't be afraid. Come on. You know, from now on, you'll, I'll make you fishers of men, as he says. And so, you know, there's kind of the first example of let's run with it. You know, you know, Jesus kind of shows Peter, is this what it's all about? Fish? You want fish? I can give you as many fish, you know, more fish than you can count. And once there's, once we're done with this, I can give you even more fish, Peter. And are you going to be happy? And Peter had that flash, that moment of kind of going, well, you know, yeah, I'm awful busy making a living, but I've forgotten how to live. And this guy, Jesus Christ, the son of God, can show me how to live. And so, um, again, you know, the idea is, you know, Peter was, you know, working really hard. And, and Jesus says, you know, I can give you all the fish you ever want, but you'll never see the face of God. And Peter sees the futility of it. And so that's kind of, you know, one sort of angle or one vignette of kind of what I'm trying to do here. With Let's run with it. Um, the next one is kind of like it. It's another one. I forgot who proposed this, but I remember seeing it in a movie. And, and there's been a, a couple of movies that have kind of used this little this little literary device or this little, you know, I don't know what you would call it. I guess a literary device or a, um, a, a gag or whatever you want to call it. But it's this, um, this idea that, again, what if you could go to a plane of existence where All of your wildest dreams would just come true by virtue of the fact that you just thought it up, you know? And um, the, the place where I saw this, one of the movies they use this, was there was one of the Star Trek movies that came out years ago called Star Trek Generations. And in the movie Generations, one of the subplots to it is, there's this energy ribbon floating through space, and if you get sucked up into it, it's called the Nexus. And a fit, one of the characters in the movie says, you know, the Nexus, it's, 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 it's as if joy was a blanket and you could wrap yourself up in it because you go into this place and you go into this, to this dimension and everything there is just the way you want it. Everything is just perfect. And so um, you have two captains, you have Captain Kirk and Captain Picard. Captain Kirk had been drawn up into this, into this energy ribbon, into, into, this, into this plane of existence many years earlier and then Captain Picard got sucked into it, you know, some years later. And so whenever they, they, the two captains meet, um, Captain Kirk, you know, basically he's in eternity. They're outside of time. And so for as far as Captain Kirk is concerned, he just got there. He just showed up seconds ago. And, um, and then Captain Picard shows up 70 some years later. Now the deal though is, is they're there. And Captain Kirk is reflecting back on his life as a starship captain and, you know, all the adventures and stuff that he had. But he was very busy making a living and forgot how to live. And so as he's looking back on his life, one of the things he had denied himself was, you know, having a wife and a home and a family and things like that. And so here in in this dimension of being, um, now he has the chance to start up a relationship with this woman, with this girlfriend that he had, and he says, not this time. You know, he goes, I was just getting ready to tell this woman that I was going to go back and be a starship captain again, but this time I'm not. I learned, my, learned from my mistake. This time I'm going to go up and I'm going to propose to her. And so then, of course, Captain McCart is there to try to get Captain Kurt to come and help him, you know, solve some problem. You can rent the movie for yourself. It's called Star Trek Generations. And so, you know, they're kind of going back and forth. And, and you know, Captain Kirk is imparting wisdom, you know, saying, look, you know, as long as you can make a difference, keep making a difference. You know, as long as you sit in that chair as a captain, you're making a difference. You know, don't get promoted. Don't let them give you a desk job. In other words, don't be so busy making a living that you forget how to live. And so, you know, Kirk's trying to impo- impart this wisdom on him. But the thing of it is, you know, Picard kind of explains to him where he's at and why he's there. And then Captain Kirk kind of gets this look in his eyes and he says, so none of this is real. No, none of it's real. It's all just in, the, in, this, in this plane of existence. It's whatever is in your imagination just kind of gets played out in front of you, but none of it's real. And so then once the none of it's real then captain kirk has no problem leaving you know the this this place called the nexus and then coming back into the real world so again that that's just one of the places where where it's been used as a as a as a literary device in a, you know in an entertainment thing but again think about this that you know what if you could just escape to a dimension or to a plane of existence where there's no time you know you're, you're, you know, you're not going to get old, you're not going to die. You're, you know, you're going to, you know, and then whatever it is you want. You know, if you're, if you're, I'm almost 60 years old. If you're 60 and you say, well, you know, I want to go back to when I was, you know, 22. And, um, and then I want to do the things I was never able to do when I was 22 years old. No problem, you know, in, in this dimension or in this plane of existence all that stuff just plays out in front of you and you can, you can have the time of your life and just you know, do whatever it is you've ever wanted to do. But it's not real. None of it is real. And if it's not real, would you do it? Some people might think, well, it might be fun to go there for a while. Okay, well, I mean, that's kind of what amusement parks and stuff are like. That's what the movies are like. It kind of gives us an escape. But would you want to stay there forever? And again, since it's not real, most people say that they wouldn't you know i think any any sane person would say well no if it's not real i don't want to go there i think that you know sometimes you know you'll hear people say things like well you know the, the there there was a spiritual healing it wasn't a real healing it was it was a healing in a spiritual sense or you know again they'll 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 pit the spiritual against the so-called real as if the spiritual is somehow second prize but the thing of it is in the end the only thing that survives into eternity is the spiritual. Therefore, the spiritual is the only thing that is real. And so we really desire, I think, reality. And so even even if someone could promise us, you know, a plane of existence or a dimension where we would live, where there would be no suffering, no pain, you know, lots of excitement, all your wishes come true, all your dreams come true. And, you know, you can go back to those parts of your life and erase out the mistakes you made and, and start over and do it right this time and so on but none of it is real, none of it is real. And if that's the case, would we do it? And I think, again, in most people's estimation, most people's minds, they would not. And so um, the, you know, that's kind of the second one I want to talk about. The next one then is um, you know, one of the things that people have been working on for a long time um, was, was good old, remember old Ponce de Leon and his Fountain of Youth. You know People are always kind of looking for a way they think they want to live forever. And um, that's kind of an interesting pro- proposition as well, in that um, you know, the, the question at hand is, do we really want to live forever? Does anybody really want to live forever here on earth? And I think that um, you know, we can kind of ask ourselves this question in that if someone really made that possible, I mean, one of the things I've thrown out before, like in sermons and teaching classes and stuff, is you know, what if God in his wisdom and in his kindness endowed some individual a priest, a sister, a lay person, whatever, it doesn't make a difference who it is, uh, you know, a baptized believer, and and gave this person the power to heal the same way Jesus healed. That is to say, they could just go up to somebody and touch them, and they would be healed. And so, you know, let's again, let's run some scenarios by this because people think, well, that's true. That would be great. That would be wonderful. So what if we have, you know, some 15-year-old kid that gets into a car wreck, and they're in the emergency room and they're just a bloody pile of goo there basically, barely hanging on to life. And you know the, the trauma surgeons are going, there's nothing we can do for this kid. And so the healer comes in and touches them, you know, in some part that's not bloody and gooey, and um, bam, just instantly, this person is restored to perfect health and they just dance a jig out of the emergency room. Well, I think most people would say, that's good. That's a tremendous blessing. You know, that little, that young child there, that young person, that young teenager, um, gets a new lease on life. This is a good thing. Okay, well and good. Now, say they're 15 years old. Now they're 30 years old. And say the 30-year-old, they find out they've got, you know, some form of cancer or something like that. No problem. The healer comes in and touches them. Bam, good as new. You know, no, no sign of cancer, perfect health, and they're, they're off to the races. Okay, now this person's 60 years old, double their age again. And now this person, you know, is in the middle of having a fatal heart attack. And, you know, the, the healer comes in and touches them. You know, the, the little cardiac artery clears up or whatever. And, you know, blood's going through their heart perfectly like, you know, like you want it to. And the person's healed. Well, 60 years old, people say, well, that's pretty good. You know, and got, got quite a bit of life left in them. Now the person is 90 years old. And they have a nasty stroke, and the healer comes in and touches them again. And now, this person you know, the person is as healthy as a 90 year old can be. Well, now what is this person going to be as grateful for having their life extended as the 15 year old would be? I think most would say probably not. And then, furthermore, then. What if, you know, this, now the 90-year-old, because they're, they've been restored to perfect health by the healer, now here they are, 126 years old. And there's some other, you know, health episode that comes up, whatever it is, some, you know, threat to their, to their health, to their life. And the healer comes in. Do you think this person is going to say, oh, yes, please, you know, touch me, heal me, make me better so I can live to be 178? Or do you think at 127 someone's gonna go, you know, I think I've had about enough. I don't think I really want any more of this, okay? Now, the thing with that is, if you stop and think about it, it isn't that we don't value human life, but I think it's just that we get to the point where, you know, we, you know, we, we, we think we wanna keep on prolonging life and prolonging life and prolonging life. And one of the things I've noticed, and I'm sure most of you will agree with me, is we've gotten pretty good adding time to people's life, but we're not very good at adding life to people's time. And I think if you ask anyone that's kind of, you know, locked up in a nursing home and, um, you know, is sitting there just kind of, you know, getting, you know, waking up in the morning and, you know, going to breakfast and, you know, waiting for stuff to happen till they, you know, till, you know, noontime for lunch and then maybe watching some TV and taking an afternoon nap and on and on going, doing all these things, they kind of think, well, yeah, you know, the modern medicine it's made me live a long time, but it, you know, it gave me time on my life, but it didn't really much life to my time. And so is that really doing as much good? And the thing is is in the in the um in the book of Genesis in chapter 3, when you have the story of the fall of, of of Adam and Eve when they when they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and and um they're then they they find themselves in a, you know, in the post original sin world. And what do they do about this? Well, you know, again, the, the, you know, the first 10 chapters of Genesis are in, written in what's called poetic narrative. And the, in the poetic narrative, whenever God, you know, plants the Garden of Eden, you know, he says that in, in the middle of the garden, there were two trees. There was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, the tree of life is what Adam and Eve would eat from to keep them immortal, you know, because in, you know, in, in before original sin, Adam and Eve would not taste physical death. Death is a consequence of sin. But since they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and disobeyed God, now at the very end, this is after you know, they eat from the tree and you know, God catches them and you know, tells them all this stuff. Then it says, and the Lord God said, this is in chapter three, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, See the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he had, i got to change the page here, to which he had been taken. God drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden and he placed a cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. And so again, this is poetic narrative for saying that now you know, people will not be able to eat from this tree of life, and we will not live forever. We will die. The thing is, is that in, in a certain way, this is a great mercy on the part of Almighty God, because who wants to live forever in a life in a world that's tainted by sin? You know, when we look at the at the end of the the story of the of the fall of man in chapter three. There's a little detail in that very few people ever talk about. I remember the first time I read it, I was really kind of taken back by it. It's in chapter three, and this is after you know God tells the man and the woman all the stuff that they've brought upon themselves because of their sin. I mean, in chapter in chapter three, verse twenty, it says the man named his wife Eve because she became the mother of all who live. In chapter two, in verse twenty one, and the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and his wife and clothed them. That's a kindness on the part of Almighty God. Because Adam and Eve, after they see they're naked, what do they do? They sew together fig leaves. Well, those aren't going to make very good clothes. And furthermore, they're about to get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So they're going to need some you know, substantial clothing for protection against you know, the wind and the rain and the cold and whatever else. But they don't know how to do this. They've been raised up in paradise. They don't know how to make clothes for themselves. The fig leaves kind of shows you that. So God has to make the garments for them. So even in their sinful rebellion against God, God shows them kindness and mercy and makes the clothes for them out of animal skins to keep them alive and, you know, keep them from freezing to death or whatever outside of the Garden of Eden. And then, you know, he takes away the tree of life so that they cannot live forever, which again, in a way is not in a way. I guess it really is. It's just it's a very real mercy that God is showing Because, you know, again, who wants to live forever, ask, go back and just run that idea through your head again of the healer that can come in and just extend life and extend life and extend life. No matter what kind of a a health episode we might go through, whether it's an accident, a heart attack, a stroke or cancer, whatever it is. Eventually we get to the point of saying, you know, I think I've just had enough and I don't think I want any more. And so again, you know, physical death on this world, even though it causes us great grief and sorrow and, and things like that, whenever whenever a loved one dies, you know, we have to deal with the loss and all that. But in a very real sense, it's like, well, okay, you don't want death? Well, then let's run with it. You know, let's take this, this person of yours, you know, this loved one of yours, your mother, your father, your grandmother, whoever it was. I mean, and even sad to say, even if it's a young person, you know, I mean, say, you know, you have a, Again, a teenager who gets killed in a car wreck. Well, that's a terrible thing, you know, and it breaks everybody's heart as well it should. But at the same time, while losing, you know, that young person out of our lives is, is something that, again, the parents will never recover from things like that. It's, it's a terrible thing. But at the same time, as long as the person was on a trajectory for heaven, then in the end it's all good because we'll be back together with that person in heaven, assuming we make it. And so, you know, we can see then that this idea of, well, somehow or another beat death and live forever, I just don't think that people want that. I think that what people are are really more interested in, I know what I'm more interested in, is I want lots of life in my time. I'm not so much worried about the time in my life. And so, you know, while, you know, while I'm here, you know, we, we want to have a good quality of life and things like that. But like I said, I think that even if, if you know, this idea, of, well, you, people want to live forever. All right. Well, let's just run with that idea and see how bad you really want it. And I think that if we look at, at the reality of it, we find out that we really don't. So that's kind of the wrap-up, the first part of the of the program here. Um, we'll take a little break for now, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Um, again, I am Father Fred Gatchett. I'm the Vicar General for the Diocese of Salina, Kansas. I am also the, the Rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral here in Salina, and I also teach a great bunch of kids out at Sacred Heart High School in Salina. I got them um, for, um, I teach sophomores on religion. I teach some um, Old and New Testament to sophomores. We've got a pretty good bunch of troops out there. I really enjoy that but you are listening to the Double-Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations on KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KJDM Lindsburg salina and our station where it all started, KBDM 88.1 Hayes. So you stay put as we hear from the folks that keep these Catholic radio waves on the air and that that, um, underwrite our programming, and we'll be right back. Hey gang, we are back and you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword Program here on the Fine Family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KJDM 101.7 Lindsburg salina KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, and the station where it all began, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And here on the Double-Edged Sword Program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And in this installment, a double-edged sword, I've called it "Let's Run with It," and the idea of "Let's Run with It" being you have things that people seem to think that they want, and it's like, okay, you want it, let's go for it, and let's see where it takes us, and see if we really want to go there. And um, the, the in the in the previous part of the program, I kind of threw out three scenarios. Um, the first one came from saint augustine where he says what if god told you you could have anything you want in whatever quantity and i god will guarantee it you'll never be bored with it and basically just whatever it is that we're pursuing in this life god says i'll get it to you on your terms but you will never see my face how many of us would take god up on that offer my guess is is that most people wouldn't in fact I would be willing to bet that even most non-believers wouldn't. I think if you had someone who was just kind of a lukewarm person that, you know, was looking for some kind of meaning in life. And even if you told this person, you know, yeah, you know, that you know, my God can make sure that you have all these goodies, anything you want in unlimited quantities on whatever terms you want them and so on. But that's all you're ever going to get. There's never going to be anything past that. Would you want it? And again, I think most people would kind of, if they really stopped and thought about it, it's like, well, could I do it for 10 years? And then, nope, nope, nope. If you you take the deal, that's it. That's your existence forever. Again, I think most people would say, nah, I don't think so. Or kind of a corollary with it. You know, what if you could be you know, transported into a plane of existence or a dimension or something where, again, all of your dreams, all of your fantasies, all of your desires or whatever are just played out in front of you just by you desiring them to happen, but that it's not real. None of it's real. It, it would seem real. It would feel real, but it's, it's an illusion. Would you want it? And again, I think most people kind of say, well, no, I don't think so or what about the idea of living forever you know let's run with that you know we have all these people trying to sell us stuff trying to keep us alive longer and so on and you know do people really want it and i think that really if if you run with it if you take it to its logical extreme take it to its end and say yeah you know well you know we'll give you this gene therapy treatment or whatever and it'll it'll arrest your aging at whatever age you want you know say someone wants to be 20 years old, you know, nice, young, strapping young person. And, um, and you'll be there. You'll be like that forever. You will live here on earth forever. As a 20 year old, you will never get sick and you will never die. You know, who would want that? And again, I think that, you know, most people would think about it and they would go, well, it might be fun for 20, 30, 40 years, but then, then what, you know? And we, you know, we read from the book of Genesis how Adam and Eve had to face that. And so when, when God drives them out of the Garden of Eden and does not allow them to eat from the tree of life, I think that that's, a, you know, that, that's sort of a way of, it's a mercy of sorts. It's a, you know, God showing mercy upon them, you know, that um, you know, they, you know, they can't live forever because outside of His grace, which they've done to themselves because of the original sin, they wouldn't want to live forever. And so I, I think you know, that if we, again, just take this idea and just kind of run with it. Do we really want to go there? Now, the thing is, is when we look in the book of Revelation, St. John picks up that idea and, and runs with it a little bit more. In um, in Revelation chapter 2, and again, this is written in apocalyptic language, and the book of Genesis is really what we call po- the first 10 chapters of Genesis are written in what's called poetic narrative language. And so, you know, again, this idea of the tree of life and so on, you know, well, what kind of a tree is it? Is it a banana tree or a mango tree or an apple tree? That's not the bloody point, all right? The point is, is that there is a means, there is a mechanism by which the man and the woman would live forever. And because of sin, that mechanism is taken away from them as a mercy, because who wants to live forever in a world tainted by sin? Now, in Revelation chapter 2, um, what's happening is the book of Revelation is a letter. It's a letter written by St. John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to a group of seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And um, there were seven Christian communities there that were connected by a very nice Roman road. And so John knew that if he if he wrote this this letter to them and got it across the Aegean Sea to them in the city of Ephesus, all those Christian communities would get it and read it. And so it starts off, you know, the the seven churches are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Theodelphia, and Laodicea. And so the first one is Ephesus. And so um, whenever John writes, this is Jesus speaking through John. So this is Jesus talking to the people in Ephesus. And what does he tell them? He says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands the seven stars and the seven gold lampstands of the seven Christian communities. And Jesus is saying he walks among them, so he's there with them. And he says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them to be false. I also know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name, that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from it, from its place, unless you repent. Yet this is to your credit. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has an ear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now listen carefully. To everyone who conquers, I will give permission to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. So there's our tree of life again. It shows back up. What does, what you know, John mean by this? What does Jesus mean by this? Again, using apocalyptic language from the book of Revelation to complement the poetic narrative language for, from Genesis chapter 3, you know, Jesus is saying, if you cowboy up and tough it out with me to the end, then, you know, I will give you eternal life. I will give you permission to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. So, you know, the, the idea of, of getting eternal life, we want it, but we don't want it on our terms. We want it on Jesus's terms, in that we you know, we want to be able to you know get across from this world into the next, into eternity, where there is no time, and then we won't be bored, and there will be no sin, and all these things that, that taint life here on earth. So you know that was the third one. Now this is the fourth one. This is the last one, and um, this one comes from whenever Jesus once again is talking to the talking to the folks here, and um, and it, it comes from the Gospel of St. Matthew. And um, he's, he's, he's talking, I'll just read it to you. It's, it's from chapter 16, it starts in verse 24. Jesus says in verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wants to be my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Now here, folks, in verse 26, in my never-to-be-humble opinion, is the most profound question that can possibly be asked. You ready for it? Here it comes. What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world but forfeit his life? What can he give in return for his life? What will it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his life? Now again, let's run with it. Let's, you know, you what do we do? You know, we get up there, we train ourselves somehow you know, we get the job, we're out there, we're making money. Maybe we have some extra money. We invest it so we can make more money and then we start buying stuff. You know, we buy a house we buy a car and then, you know, maybe we're fortunate enough to you know, own a vacation home somewhere. And, and it, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Right? Well, let's run with it. You know, where does it stop? You know, assume what, what if somebody actually succeeded in doing what's been vainly tried over the centuries? You know it was tried by napoleon it was tried by caesar it was tried by hitler it was tried by genghis khan you know it was tried by all these people you know alexander the great i am going to take over the whole world okay well what if you succeeded in doing that what if you actually succeeded in taking over the entire world where you owned everything every house that everybody was living in was actually yours every building every office building every ship on the sea, everything is yours. Every drop of oil in the ground, every bar of gold, everything. You know, every gallon of water in the ocean, everything belongs to you. You finally succeeded in what people have been you know, trying to do you know, from the beginning of time. I'm going to take over the whole world and it will all be mine. Okay, you did it. Good for you. And Jesus says, now... What profit is there to gain the whole world, but to lose one's soul? You know, someone finally succeeded in getting it all. You know, again, you know, think about what we're doing. You know, we're we're, we're engaged in this process day in and day out, most folks, of I need to acquire more. And sometimes we want to acquire more just for the sake of having more, not because we need it. It's one thing that, you know, I'm trying to get a promotion at work because one of my kids is getting ready to go to college and, and I need to make some more money because there's going to be some more expenses. That's one thing. But it's another thing when, you know we, we, you know, we just sit there and try to acquire, you know, we want more and more and more just for the sake of having more. And Jesus says, okay, you know, what if you succeed in getting the whole world? You know, again, we probably heard this, this reading at Mass before. And, you know, we, oh, yeah, yeah, we see the whole world and lose a life in the process. What profit a man? Okay. But again, stop and think about that. Take it and run with it. Stop and think about what it would be like if someone actually succeeded. I mean, you know, we we talk about billionaires now. Eventually, there's going to be a trillionaire. Eventually, you know, we're we're going to talk about someone that actually succeeded in piling up a trillion dollars worth of assets. Who it's going to be? Who knows, you know? But the point, though, is, is that, you know, you have we have people that, you know, that pile up piles and piles and piles of assets and cash and money and so on. And the rest of the world looks at them and usually gets jealous and you know, tries to figure out ways to take it away from them. But again, what if somebody actually succeeded in getting it all? They owned every human being, you know, every human being on earth was the property of this person. And, and every, every, again, every house, every street, every building, every street lamp, everything belongs to this one person. They finally succeeded in getting it all, but they lose their soul in the process. They forfeit their life in the process. What have they gained? You know, because in the end, you know, really all they've gotten for themselves is a spot in hell. And what's that going to do for them? Okay. So again, like I said, I've, I've called this installment a double-edged sword. Let's run with it. And we took some ideas, you know, some some you know desires that folks have, and maybe some strategies and some ways of living, and you know, we run with it and take it to to its logical end. You know that it, you know in, in the middle, you know, when we're in the middle of it, we don't really think of it like, well, where is the end? Where is this taking me? And again, that's why I say I think a lot of times, so you know, many people, you know, a lot of times we're so busy making a living, we forget how to live. And that's why, you know, at these at these critical moments in life, you know, you always hear people having you hear stories about people that are they're in the middle of having a heart attack in the in the in the emergency room, and they start asking themselves questions they should have been asking all along. You know, am I doing the right thing? Am I spending my life properly? Am I am I doing you know what I what I should be doing? And sad to say, for a lot of folks, that answer is no. And you know, part of the Christian life is to be constantly reflecting on life and asking ourselves, you know, am I doing what's going to get me and my family into heaven? Is this how is my, you know, as St. Paul says in Philippians 2.12, am I working out my salvation or am I too distracted by other things that are good? That's the problem. I mean, the ultimate good is eternal salvation. But in the meantime, there's lots of other lesser goods. You know, raising our family, going to the kids' ball game, you know, enjoying an afternoon at the lake or something like that. There's all kinds of lesser goods. And, but the lesser goods can and do get in the way of the greater good. But if we take those lesser goods and run with them, we find out that they ultimately really kind of take us nowhere. And so that's been kind of the, the purpose of this installment of Double-Edged Sword is to kind of explore that, kind of do that thought experiment and kind of see where it takes us. So again, um, I am Father Fred Gatchett. I'm the Vicar General for the Diocese of Salina. I'm also a religion teacher at Sacred Heart High School here in Salina, where I teach a great bunch of sophomores, Old and New Testament. I'm the rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral. And you've been listening to the Double-Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations on KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KJDM 101.7 Lindsburg Salina, and the, the station where it all started, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. We invite you anytime to call us here at this station at 785-621-4110. If you have an idea for a future program, you can let the staff there know and we'll see if we can do some homework for you and maybe put something on the air. Also check out our website at www.dv, that's V as in Victor, dvmercy.com. On the website, there are archived installments of the Double-Edged Sword program and also the One Body program, both two locally produced programs here on our own Catholic radio stations here in Kansas. I really haven't looked it up, but I'd be willing to bet that if you check out a lot of the other Catholic radio stations around the country, there's not a whole lot of them that have locally produced programming like what we have here. And so again, we're, we're pretty proud of that and we invite you to tune in. Um, another thing that, um, again, if you're not much of a techno geek, I just kind of recently started doing this myself. You know, the, there, there is an app, you know, the APP, the app for your telephone. There's a Divine Mercy app that you can download for free. And with that app, you can listen to Catholic Radio anywhere that anywhere that you are. Sometimes in my travels, I get outside of our, our out of our broadcast range, and I just get on my phone and type, you know, hit the app, and um, and then um, there's there's Catholic Radio right there on my radio, and it, it comes in crystal clear, and, and you you can't beat it. One of the things that I've said over the years about Catholic Radio, and I'll repeat it because it's true is that, um, you know, these, these Catholic radio waves that we have, these airwaves, um, give us the chance to go into a lot more detail and, um, you know, kind of, you know, you know, cut things a little bit finer and little, the little finer nuances of things that we can, than what we can do in an eight to ten minute Sunday sermon. And so, you know, sh- shows like double-edged sword and one body and stuff allow us to do that, which is great. But another value of Catholic radio that I just kind of recently stumbled upon that I think is worth thinking about is this think about the media that you normally consume all right and so i'll i mean i'll just name them out because everybody knows what they are anyway you know if you're kind of of the more liberal bend and you listen to cnn or msnbc or if you're the more conservative bend and you listen to you know fox news you know and things like that the thing is is when we when we tune these things in all we're doing is having people reinforce what we already think okay and so, you know, if, again, if you're, if you're, you know, more into the programming with what CNN puts out or what MSNBC puts out and you like listening to what they say, well, it's because they agree with you. Or if you're more into, you know, kind of what Fox News has to say or, you know, various, you know, maybe the more conservative radio station personalities and so on, and you tune in and listen to them, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that it's bad, but all all we do is we kind of tune into what we like to hear and we just have it reinforcing that same old stuff over and over again. This is one of the big benefits of Catholic radio, I think, in that with Catholic radio, since we're hearing the truths of our faith, these truths are neither conservative nor liberal. These truths are neither democratic nor republican. They are truths that come from Almighty God. And I think that you know, one of the great benefits of Catholic radio is it kind of gives us an island of sanity you know, to kind of get away from the corporate, you know, national, you know, big media outlets and listen to something from a point of view that, number one, it's, you know, it's not acidic. You, know, you, you listen to this stuff on whatever news outlet you like to listen to, and all these people do is scream and yell and fight. You know, on Catholic radio, we're much more civilized. And so again, I just invite you to tune into Catholic Radio and see if you don't find that to be the truth. So again, I'm Father Fred Gatchett. You've been listening to the Double edged Sword program here on our on our fine family of, of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations. We're, we have um, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KJDM 101.7 Lindsburg Salina, and the station where it all started, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And on the double-edged sword program, we have been cutting through the heart of a deceptive culture. Um, We thank you for tuning in and God bless and goodbye. We'll see you for the next one.